in Jesus Christ. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, turn your Bible to uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis, and we'll be doing uh, chapter 24. If you don't um, have your own copy of God's Word, um, we do have Bibles on the back wall. Please pick one up. Uh, please bring it with you and use that. Uh, feel free to take notes in it and underline or circle or whatever might be helpful to you um, today. Um, next week, as we mentioned, we do start our mission celebration. So we'll be focused on what God's call to the nations uh, for the next four weeks. Um, and so we'll take a little bit of a break from Genesis before picking it up um, back in in April. But now we have uh, Genesis 24. It's, it's 67 verses. Um, and so I'll be covering all of them in the course of my sermon. But right now we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And that'll set the context for what we're going to work through in the rest of the passage uh, this morning. So Genesis 24 verses 1 through 4. Uh, this is God's word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as, as we come to this passage, God, we come to any scripture in your word and asking for guidance and leadership, not only guidance and leadership to our own individual lives, but to the generations which are before us. Father, generations, and generations is that we think through relationships and the challenge of relationships which are before us. And pray, God, that by your holy word, you would lead us and guide us. Send your spirit among us. Father, help us to discern truth. Uh, from your word, and then to apply it to our lives, uh, Father, and help us to bear it out in good fruit. Father, we need your help for doing that. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think the three most important decisions that a person is going to make are what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Will you receive him or follow him or won't you? Secondly, what will you do with the church? What are you going to do with the bride of Christ and your involvement with that? And I think the third thing is, is who are you going to marry? Now, we're going to touch on those three things, probably in reverse order today. Um, and, but the main one we're really going to be focusing on the bulk of our time is, who's that person that you would marry? What about that decision that you made to marry? Or if you're single that you're here, what about the decision which one day you might, Lord willing, make that decision as well. It's such a significant decision, we need to enter into that with wisdom. You know, the person you're going to marry and the decision to do that uh, call, is a call for wisdom. It's that significant. The passage which we are going to look at today, uh, we've already introduced it, is about finding a wife. Isaac needs to find a wife, and so his father Abraham, he goes on a search in order to find uh, a wife, and not just any wife, but the right wife uh, for his son. He, like any of us, wants this relation, you know, like any of us want our relationships to work, he wants this relationship to work. It's very important. We invest a lot into our relationships, right? And this, this relationship between his, his son and his future wife is very significant for the future. And it's important to build a strong foundation. 
And while we don't uh, have any guarantees for any relationship, it is much easier to build a, a good relationship when we start with a good foundation. So we're going to be looking at those things today as this relationship is, is started. And that's because sometimes we look for the wrong things in relationships. You know, we look for attractiveness, or we look for money, we look for wealth, we look for uh, that emotional feel that we get from somebody. Maybe sometimes hormones can even get the best of us. And, and after a while, though, because we've not built on a good foundation, we realize that uh, there's problems that we should have seen from the beginning. Problems that we should have seen if just we would have taken an honest look um, at the beginning, we would have noticed. Um, maybe we weren't honest with ourselves. Maybe we weren't honest with others. Um, and maybe even there's times we've entered relationships we shouldn't have. Now today, because our passage directs us that way, you know, we're going to focus on marriage relationships. Um, but as every one of us is in a different spot, as we're here and most of us are married, you know, we know that there are uh, takeaways that we can have for any relationship. You know, there, there are principles which guide business relationships and, and uh, friendships and, and just finding people that you can trust. And so, you know, you might find it helpful to think through those core elements of any relationship as we look through uh, the passage today. But you might also think about how thankful that you are for your spouse if you're married here. How you need to grow. Or maybe how you need to pray for the people that you know. Maybe your kids as they speak a spouse. Maybe your grandchildren. Or you might want to think about how you can help your current marriage to continue to grow. A lot of the same things we build on a foundation, you know, need to be continually part of our relationship to see a growing marriage. And so there's a lot to think about when we think about here, even if you're not in a position of seeking a spouse. The principles still are there. Relationships matter to us. They can move us forward. They could also be a significant disruption to us. If we don't, we're not able to deal with him well. So our, our passage gives a great example of pursuing those relationships by prayerfully applying God's wisdom. But it also shows us something else is important, and it shows us something about God's love for us. And that's what we're going to get to in the end, especially in how Jesus came to seek a bride for himself. But let's look at our passage first, and I think I have seven points, and my first one has like six subpoints. so there's a lot of different things that I come about here, so it's, it's a lot. You can look in your bulletin and follow along uh, with you will, but my, big, my first main point is to be intentional. We even saw as we looked through verses one through four, the intentionality of Abraham in seeking a wife for his, for his son. And so, first thing of intentionality is to be intentional about marriage itself because it matters. Abraham is at the end of his life, um, and coming towards the end, uh, end of his life, he has this laser focus on things that need to be done, right? And namely, um, to find, uh, to set up his son to take on uh, what he will give him to, and to take it on well. Um, he's, he's old, he will die soon. His wife, Sarah, recently died. And uh, there's a question of that legacy, which will continue in the future. Um, Sarah, the matriarch uh, of God's people, she's died. And, and God's going to raise up another one. But not for Abraham here, but now it's for Isaac. It's for that next generation. And the covenant promises that God has made to Abraham will go down to Isaac and then to his son. And this and all the way down to Christ. And it's time for him to marry, though. It's time for him to find a wife. And so Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for him. 
And one thing you'll notice if you read through the Bible is that there is no uh, one single way, no one single right way to find a wife. It doesn't give us a set of instructions along the way. Um, Maybe in the past you've heard that there's one right way, you need to do this way, you need to do this way. Um, There's not one right way to do it. Um, But there are principles. There are principles. That's what we really want to look at today. The the principles which drive a decision uh, like that. Ones that require uh, wisdom. Principles that are geared by wisdom and godly application. And really at the center of it is intentionality, and intentionality in serving the Lord and be wise about our decisions. So marriage uh, matters. It's good to be intentional about it. Um, We also see that it's good to want marriage and to pursue it. It's good to want marriage and to pursue it. Abraham and Isaac, they know how important marriage is, how important a good marriage is. And so that's why they go on this diligent search, right? Uh, marriage is part of God's creative design. It's, it's, it's part of the ordinary working of this life. In Genesis 2.18, uh, we see the Lord God said, It is not good the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Even as we look at the New Testament, we see that marriage is the normal pattern of life. It's, it's, it's good. It's part of God's good creation. Statistics show that, that people do well in married relationships. It has benefits for health and, and, and finances. It's critical for children. And while not everyone will marry, and it's not God's purposes that every person would, um, and, and we realize it's not necessary for a joy-filled life or it's not necessary for a relationship with God, uh, but we see that it is good. It's a good part of God's design. And uh, because of that, it is good to intentionally pursue it. It's, it's good to have this as a goal. It's good to make the changes in our life that make that possible. For Abraham and Isaac, they chose then to reach out to Abraham's relatives, his clan, uh, in order to find a wife. And so that leads to our, our next subpoint: that it's to be intentional about the people you build relationships with. Be intentional about the people you build relationships with. So they have a particular uh, kind of person in mind, right? He insists that his servant is not to find a Canaanite for a wife. And there are spiritual reasons for that. Uh, He sees the ungodliness of the people around them. And he also knows that in his clan, there's an openness towards worshiping and seeking God. And we'll see that bear its way out later towards the end of our passage. There's an openness there where there isn't in the land that he's at. Abraham and Isaac, they know their mission. They're the covenant people of God. And God had identified them as his own people. And so uh, it it, would be a bad thing to enter into an improper marriage. So you can see in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 5, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me in this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Don't uh, take him into the foreign land. Um, of his family. He needs to stay in Canaan. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So even if there's difficulty in finishing the task, um, he's not um, to compromise in, in that matter. 
In a similar way, we need a, a intentionality with our own relationships. If a person wants to honor Christ, if a person wants their home to honor Christ, their kids to honor Christ, they know how important it is to marry a Christian. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship is light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And so the intentional process knows how important it is to marry in the Lord. Christians should marry other Christians. It's, it's a big part of our life, our witness, our legacy. And marrying outside the Lord does create its own problems and challenges for us and for our children. So it needs to be a starting conviction in uh, looking for uh, a relationship like this is to, is, is to start in the Lord. The fourth thing I want to look at here is um, that intentionality means trusting God at the start of the process. Intentionality means trusting God at the start. So Abraham trusts that God will help the servant um, for this process. In other words, he, or he, he even says that God will send his angel ahead of you in order to prepare the way for you. And the importance of this is that the, that the servant, Abraham, they need to know that, that they're looking for God's answer. They're not trying to force an answer for this. They're trusting that God will provide. That God will provide a woman who will willingly, not be forced to come back, but willingly come um, into, this, into this new land. And so they're not going to try to create a, a false result in order to get what they want against all the evidence that's there and against the wishes of Abraham. They're going to look for the Lord's hand in this. It's an important part of intentionality is to start it with trusting God and leave the results to him. The fifth thing we see is an intentionality means preparing yourself. It means preparing yourself. Look at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So he brings gifts with him. Why does he bring gifts with him? You know, we probably understand this as sort of like a dowry or something uh, to give to the family um, to prove their intention of marrying uh, this daughter and for her to, to enter marriage with, with Isaac. Um, you know, and for them, it's, not only is it a, a recognition of, this, um, of, of, of the value of this, not that she's buying it, but the, 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 that, that it, this person been a valuable part of this family. They're losing a valuable part of the family, and we're going to care for her. We're going to welcome her into the family, and um, and it's also an evidence that Isaac himself can provide for her. It's evidence for her that he intends to be able to provide for her as she comes in the la- into the land. I mean, imagine she's leaving her homeland, she's leaving her family, and she's entering a new place. What sort of stability will she have? Well, these gifts are evidence that God has truly blessed him inside of the land that he is, that he'll be able to care for her there. And so if you're a young single man, you know, a big part of being intentional is to be in a position that you can support another person financially. I mean, if you're single, now is the time to build diligence, to build good stewardship, to build skills. To, to prove that you will be able to carry a marriage forward. And even if you will need to be a dual-income family, your wife's respect will be partly connected with your ability to provide stability and security. It's not just about how much money you make, but it's about being a good steward of what you have. Just avoiding debt, that can make a big difference there, financial stewardship. And if you plan to have children together, you know, this becomes doubly important. You know, and so now's the time to get started. And building your ability to provide while you're young. Don't, don't waste youth on video games and pornography instead of building something out of your life. I mean, it, it is critical. 
You know, I could go on and on about numbers of men inside of our culture who are struggling in this area. You know, don't waste this time of your life. It's a good time to build something, build on something. Or the sixth thing that we see here about intentionality is that intentionality means wisdom. Verse 11, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city. This is a servant. Made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So Abraham's servant goes to where he can find young women and where he can see their character. And if you're going to be intentional, that you're going to use wisdom to find good places. This is a place where uh, the, 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 the older girls, the family, uh, married age, would be there. They'd be present there. And there's an intentionality of finding places where others would be that we can meet and get to know. Best place, really, is to ask your friends. Ask um, older people who know you to help you connect with others. You know, part of what we do as a church is we can connect with other people here as we... Um, you know, worship and seek the Lord together. You know, churches apart, care groups are apart, um, Christian groups are part of good opportunities. You can meet godly Christian people on a mission field. Um, there's things like Christian dating apps, the internet groups, and I know people who have met and gotten married this way, and they're happy. But all of it, whatever way we go, it takes wisdom and it takes diligence. If you want to be married, you need to put yourself in a position to meet others. If you want to be married to a godly person, you have to go to where they go. And so there's a wisdom that we need in knowing what it is that we're aiming for. What is it we want to do in serving the Lord together and putting ourselves in that spot? All right, so that's my first point, right? Six subpoints. Be intentional. And this is really important because what you see, you have basically what I say, 11 verses of their intentionality, right? And then it bears its way out over the rest of the, rest of the uh, chapter. How did that work out? But intentionality in serving God and recognizing what we're doing is really at the core of it. Um, All right, so our second point is the need to be prayerful, to be prayerful. We look at verse 12 um, where we see a time of prayer. And the servant said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the men of the city, they're coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So what are you looking for? The first thing we should do is to bring that desire to the Lord. We ask him to help that process. Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11, reminds us that God is a father who loves us. And as we pray, we look for the way that God is working through that. Prayer opens up that conversation with God. Prayer helps us um, in that conversation from avoiding obvious mistakes. Praying about it leaves the results in God's hands. Praying helps us be honest if it's not a good fit. You know, praying helps us commit ourselves to doing things God's way, being prayerful. It's right at the very center of that intentionality. What am I going to do? And I'm going to bring this before the Lord. The third thing we see working out is, is the need to be principled, the need to be principled. Now, the servant has asked God for some specific signs, namely that she would help him with water, but not only him, 
but she would help water the camels as well. And that's important because he wanted to see a servant-minded woman to come alongside Isaac in his work, in his calling, and that they would be able to share that together. And so her, her character matters a lot. If she's selfish, if she wants others to serve her, um, then she's going to be ill-suited um, to come alongside Isaac. Isaac is a sojourner. Isaac doesn't own any land. Isaac has to travel from place to place. Um, there's, they, they have many cattle, a lot of herds, and so there has to be an industriousness there. He's looking for hospitality. He's looking for kindness. He's looking for a helper who cares for others. And so he prays, and, and he's looking for this, and guess who happens to come along? Somebody from Isaac's, from Abraham's own family, Rebecca, who happens to be a distant cousin. Genesis twenty four fifteen says this, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. So she's right from the right family here, right? She's from the group that Abraham wanted, but what else is there? Right? Verse 16. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. The first thing it mentions is her physical beauty. Well, the Bible warns us about looking at physical beauty alone. It also recognizes that the physical attractiveness has a legitimate place in a romantic relationship between a man and a woman. It's not supposed to be the primary factor in relationships, even if it is part of how we relate. We also see that she's, it's mentioned she's a virgin. That speaks to her moral character, speaks to her family. It reminds us of the biblical standard that sexual activity belongs only inside of marriage. Now, there are many who have not lived up to that standard. It does not mean that they're disqualified from a good marriage, a happy life, or a relationship with God. It just means that we need to aim uh, for chastity in all of our behavior with others, knowing that there is a God who forgives, there is a God who restores, there is a God who renews. As we confess our sins, the scripture says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to reconcile us and help us walk in righteousness. We have a wonderful promise of God's forgiveness and his restoration. So she's attractive, she's a virgin, and he also sees her industriousness in the way that she gathers water for her own family. But then she offers to help him. Down in verse 17, that uh, the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So again, she offers to do this, right? So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. Now, this is a lot of work. I, I read in studying for this that camels can lose 25 gallons of water in a journey. And she, he had 10 camels with him. And so, you know, she's going to the well over and over in order to not only get water for him, but for all of these camels. And, you know, you see the, the sacrificial heart, the hospitality, the sermon heartedness that's there in this. And I don't know what you'd think if you saw something like this, but you can see in verse 21 what he thinks. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I'm, I don't know, for all 250 gallons or so. You know, there's a lot of encouragement as he sat in silence to see if the Lord had prospered that journey. 
All right, that leads on to our fourth point, and it's the awareness of God's provision, right? He's looking, he's observing, he's praying, he's considering, right? And he, and he gets the answers he needs. She is a relative of Abraham. He's, um, you know, she ends up being Isaac's cousin. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And then she shows kindness and hospitality in the next verse. You know, you know here she shows her hospitality in verse 25. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. She's inviting him to bring the camels, bring yourself. You know, would you stay with us? She's committing to taking care of him as a host if he comes. And you can see his excitement. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord. Right? He sees this comes from, this, this, this must be the Lord. She answered a prayer, doing something unasked for and sacrificially to boot. Verse 27, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's house about these things. All right, so we, you know, we saw, looking back at verse 22, that you know, seeing that she's a good fit, he gives her the gifts. He doesn't want to miss out on this opportunity. And so when we know what we want, when we pray about it, when we get the right principles in place, we only hurt ourselves to overthink and overanalyze situations and not act. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't stop thinking. It doesn't mean that we stop analyzing. But there are times to act. And we have to remember always in a marriage relationship that is one sinner marrying another sinner in a sinful world. You know, are things going to be perfect? No. Are there going to be challenges? Of course. Now, do we ignore obvious warning signs? No, no way. We should listen to others. We honor biblical wisdom. Uh, but we shouldn't let a false demand for perfection get in the way of moving forward. All right, the fifth thing we want to look at is the need to have something to contribute, the need to have something to contribute. So verses 29 through 30, um, the family sees the gifts, and um, they, they want to know more. So Rebecca had a brother, his name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca's sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. So again, these financial gifts represent two things, Isaac's ability to provide for Rebecca and Isaac's willingness to provide for her. Now, again, that's just one aspect of what makes him attractive as a potential husband. You know, a good potential husband will be kind, he'll be generous, he'll take initiative, he's willing to take responsibility for himself and others, and most importantly, he will faithfully love and serve the Lord and others with gladness. You know, there's a lot of qualities for what make him attractive as a husband. It's not just about his ability to make money and keep money. It's about his ability to keep good relationships, to say he's sorry, to demonstrate self-control and mastery in his life. Men need self-control. They need it in their health. They need it in the use of their time, the mastery of their skill, the vision for their life. They need to be headed somewhere in life and to be able to invite a woman to come alongside in that mission. You know, here, Rebecca's being invited to come alongside Isaac in the mission that God has given to him. Rebecca wants to marry someone she respects, someone that her family respects. 
And the servant does his best to put Isaac in a good light. And even though Isaac can't be there, well, he sees the servant is successful. He convinces her family that this is a good thing. They're running out to see what has happened. And so it leads us to our sixth point, is the need to invite others, especially family. We see that starting in verse 31. And here's 31 to 61. I'm going to read the whole thing. But I want you to notice, you know, just how involved the family is with this. The family is there for her protection. They need to know what she's getting into. They need to know that Isaac has the resources to care for her. Uh, They need to know that he's a decent guy. They need to know that his faith is in the right place. And they need to ensure that she is also okay with this decision. Now, sometimes we don't have family in order to help us with that. You know, but God puts other people inside of our lives to help us with that. God gives us a church. God gives trusted, godly friends in order to talk to about those things. We need to seek wisdom from the people that God has placed in our lives, right? It's wise to seek the blessing of the family. You know, when we do that, we avoid so many pitfalls. We ensure a good, long-lasting relationship with family. Starting in verse 31, we see... Um, Laban saying this, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So he said, speak on. Verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants, female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. He said to me, the Lord before whom I've walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my clan, for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give you... To, when I give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Verse 42, the, the servant goes on to say, I came today to the spring and said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by this spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Verse 45, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give to your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for a son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that it may turn to the right hand or to the left. And so our family sees, what does our family see? They see that the Lord is in this. And, and even Laban, as he answers, he even 
you know, refers to the Lord. You know, showing that, that there, there's an openness to the covenant God of Abraham. There's a recognition of that. That's why he, again, went to this family. And there's supportiveness that's there. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord, right? Yahweh, the covenant name of God there. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Now, they're not ready to let her go just yet. They got to ensure with her that she's comfortable with this arrangement. You can see how it bears out starting in verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed to the earth. He bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry and silver of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with them ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. You know, and so they are um, willing to um, see her to go. But as she goes, you can look down at verse 60, and what do they do? They, they even bless her. You know, how important is it to get a family blessing or to offer a blessing to our children as they are married? We see this in verse 60. And this, the family blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. They're really praying for success and God's blessing upon her. All right, so that's where she leaves. She leaves home and she goes to meet Isaac, we see in verse 61, then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. So finally, she's going to meet Isaac. And apparently as they meet, what we'll see is it is love at first sight. You know, there, there is something about um, making marriages work. And that, that's, that's the commitment which is behind it and in it. I saw a statistic just this week. Um, of the success rate of arranged marriages. Now, again, not forced marriages, um, but arranged marriages where they have other people willingly um, to arrange them for them. And it was surprising to read, and some of the statistics talked about, um, you know, the, the commitment that's behind them because the commitment is there from the beginning that they find ways to make that work. At the start, it was a lot like a business arrangement. But as it grew, because the commitment was there, it allowed even romantic love to continue to grow. And they recognize that commitment is key for uh, making marriages work and to create a happy home. You know, I've seen the research which shows that couples who are unhappy at one point, they continue to work through it. In five years, most do report being happy again. And, you know, so there, there's something about the marriage covenant as a foundation to build off of and to build out of which actually allows love to continue to grow. And so, you know, we see that here. They don't know a lot when they enter into this, do they? But what we see, God will, over time, bless their marriage and to grow it for the establishment of his covenant people. Um, all right, so that leads us into our last point in our final verses of the passage, um, to build relationships with trust and trustworthiness. So they're finally going to meet, and uh, they start by recognizing that 
you know, good relationships are built on appropriate boundaries like modesty. There's a trust and a trustworthiness from the start. First, in verse 62, we see um, Isaac Caesar coming. Verse 62, Isaac had returned from Bir Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. I love this. You know, what was he doing? He was going to meditate. He was going to pray. He was seeking the Lord. Was he seeking the Lord about um, the servant being out and coming back? Um, you know, we don't know, but we see, you know, right at the beginning here, his relationship with God as being a center place uh, for their own relationship together. It's a picture of devotion. Now, when she sees him, what, is, what does she do? She, she expresses the, um, you know, the modern standard or the, the, the traditional standard of modesty. She covers herself. Uh, they're not married, and, and she covers herself with a veil. We see that in verse 64. Um, Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, said to the servant, who is that man walking the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil, and she covered herself. And so Isaac's here. He, he can't see her um, entirely. And you know, we know he's not basing the relationship based on appearance. He can't see her. Um, they've not known each other long. And really, they're building a relationship on what the servant has told him about her. Look at verse 66. The servant told Isaac all these things that he had done. So her beauty, her her kindness, her hospitality, Isaac couldn't test those things himself. You know, for him, it was a step of faith and trust. Step of faith and trust and trust the servant, trust the Lord in it. But she was trusting the Lord as well, right? She had left her family. She had left her homeland in order to enter in this relationship, to enter this new land without ever meeting this man. And that's the nature of a relationship. There are always things that we won't see when we enter into a marriage. There's always things we won't see until later. But again, as we're committed to working those things through together, we have the opportunity to grow together and to work through those things together. We, we always enter into marriage by faith. We enter any relationship by faith. We, we, we trust in the goodness of God we count on the goodwill and the good intentions of the other person that's there. We believe that God will lead us through uh, the um, difficulties and trials of it. And eventually, as we work things through, commit to the relationship, we can you know, solve, solve so many of the things that come before us and live happily married lives together. But there has to be a willingness to start trusting and also being trustworthy. Now, we see the wedding ceremony described in simplest terms. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. You know, it's a, a reminder of them honoring the Lord. He marries her before there is intimacy. It's also a good reminder in the simplicity of it that we don't need elaborate, expensive ceremonies in order to be married. It's the moving ahead and the commitment together. And we see the love story there. And Isaac loved her. We see it working its way out in future texts. You'll see it. Isaac loved her, right? He committed her, himself to her. It was this act of the will, a resolve to be a husband for her. And as they grew together, their love also continued to grow. And she had her own role. We see that in verse 67. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death, right? Moving forward. They would love each other and take their place in God's redemptive plans. And so all this is a spectacular love story, you know, this Bible-described love story. But what we have to see is we look at an account like this, 
is to look at a greater love story and a greater story between, between uh, what's described as, as, as a bride and a groom. And that's the relation between Jesus Christ, the groom, and his bride, the church. I mean, that is the greatest love story that's ever been told. And by faith, that becomes your story, right? And that's explained in Ephesians 5. So if you take a minute, turn to Ephesians 5. It's worth just being there, looking at the text. If we're familiar with it, reviewing it for ourselves, we're not familiar, circling it, making sure that we know where it is, Ephesians chapter 5. But it tells of another love story. And it's the story of, of a father who wants a bride for his son. God knew he wanted for this bride, and so he chooses his church for salvation. He chooses his church to be that bride. And he just chooses them despite their sin, despite their failures. He chooses them because he loves them. It wasn't because they were so attractive. He chose them out of his sheer love and grace. And in this grace, he sent his own son to redeem this bride. Jesus Christ came into the world to build his church. He pursued his bride by coming to us. He wanted us to be united to him forever. So he pursued by entering into this world. And you can see how Ephesians 5, starting verse 22, it describes this relationship as a marriage relationship. Husbands, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself his savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. The picture that God uses to describe the love of Christ in his church is the marriage relationship and what Christ did in order to pursue his bride and to secure her in that relationship. Jesus didn't gain his bride, the church, by costly jewelry, but with his own life, with his own body and his own blood. When he died, he paid the penalty for sin, and he brought them into a relationship, an eternal relationship with himself. And as his bride sees that sacrifice, she sees a love that's never offered in the world. And she knows she can have a relationship with him. She's willing to submit to him. She's won over to him by his love. And with a new heart, she's willing to, to leave her sin behind, to repent and believe in him by faith. The church has left the kingdom of the world to become the kingdom of our God. And this son, Jesus Christ, he loves his church. He rejoices in his church. He prays for his church. He provides for his church. And he leads his church. She is his bride. Are you part of the bride of Christ? Are you part of his church? That's how you experience God's love. And, and, and that's a love that's without comparison. You don't have to do anything to gain it. You don't have to be good enough or qualify for it. In fact, you can't qualify for it. That's because the bride isn't perfect. But the groom is perfect. And here's what you have to do. You have to receive that invitation to be part of that church. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's when you enter into the greatest love story that's ever been told. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, love stories like Isaac and Rebecca, they point us to that greatest love story ever, which is the love that Christ has for his church. Thank you, God, for making us part of that story through faith. Thank you, God, for making us part of that through the connection to his church. Father, though, in light of the passage we just read, we pray for our marriages, marriages of this congregation. Father, would you strengthen them according to your design? Would you strengthen by your grace for diligence? Father, granting forgiveness, mutual forgiveness. God, I also want to pray for those who want to be married but are not. God, would you surround them with your love? God, would you help them be steadfast in that love? Father, help them be steadfast even in their service to you and their devotion. God, strengthen them with grace for this time. And Father, as they do desire to be married, would you bring that person in their life? We trust that your angel, as was said, would even be preparing a person now. And Father, during these years of singleness, direct each to chaste devotion to you. God, use these times for your glory, for your purposes. Father, we also pray for our children, and we pray for our grandchildren. And Father, would you grant them godly spouses? Father, would you build a heritage for the future? Father, we lay that before you, just directing our eyes and hopes towards you. Because, Father, we trust you're working. We trust you're working. And so we offer our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together and sing our closing hymn. It's Ferris, Lord Jesus.